Good morning, everybody. Kayla Calhoun here with Off the Hook Sports. Dave Hooker is going to join us at the 1025 hour. He had a previous appointment he has to deal with. So it'll be me and you guys through the first segment of the show. We're going to bring Josh Ward on here in just a second. Please hit that like and subscribe button. And please comment. Give, feel free to give us all your thoughts in the chat board. We already got some good mornings this morning from D, who has a thought on the two mega conference playoffs. D, I promise we actually will get to that today. But first, I want to bring in Josh Ward of the Sports Animal. Josh, how are you doing today? Hey, doing great. Good morning. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks again for thanks for jumping on with me on this. Uh, it's, it's hard to do it on your own. <laughs> um, we wanted to go ahead and jump right in about you have a post on Off the Hook Sports right now. People can read it about ranking Tennessee football's position groups for 2020, not ranking, but breaking them down based on how confident you are in each position group for 2023. And so why do you just go ahead and start with that and give me your thoughts on each group? Yeah. And, and it kind of comes down to a ranking, but confidence is a little bit different. It's not just, okay, which players are the best part of it comes into coaching. For example, the offensive line, trying to figure out how confident am I in the offensive line. Part of it is the personnel. The concern comes from having to replace Darnell Wright at right tackle as good as he was. Also, Jerome Carvin at left guard. But you do have Cooper Mays coming back. There's a ton of confidence in him. I would say the same for Javante Spragans. And I have confidence in Glenn Ellerby with what he can do as the offensive line coach based on his track record. I think he gets a bit of a benefit of the doubt. But I still had the offensive line ranked a little bit further back because the importance of that position group is affected by some of the concern I have in replacing Wright and Carvin. So the position group that I'm most confident in, wide receivers and tight ends. Part of it's because of the personnel. Love Brew McCoy and Ramel Keaton coming back. We have confidence, I think, uh, across the board in Squirrel White's ability. And what I saw in the Orange-White game tells me that Tennessee should be able to count on him. Dante Thornton looks like a perfect fit in this offense. And then this offense just has a way of getting wide receivers open. And it's wide receivers and tight ends. So Jacob Warren coming back for another year. There's another big body option for Joe Milton to look to. And he now knows so much about the offense entering year three with Josh Heupel. So the position group I'm most confident in, the receivers and tight ends, just beat out the defensive line, which I don't know if it has an all-SEC player. I think Amari Thomas could be that. A couple of guys on the edge could blossom into an all-SEC performance this season. But the depth and the coaching of Rodney Garner had the defensive line very high. So wide receivers, tight ends, and the defensive line led off the list for me. Rocket Job Team says, good morning. Travis Case says, wide receiver core will be number one in the country by season's end. I agree. Uh, sticking with the offensive line, uh, going through the chapel real quick, Rocky Top Tom has a very good question about how concerned should Tennessee be about the year after 2023 with the offensive line? Because we know Darnell Wright is a huge loss, generational talent. Jerome Carvin, I thought, was a very underrated blocker. But you're losing a couple more guys after this year. So what's the – can Tennessee replace what – I mean, you hate to use the word, but what Jeremy Pruitt left Josh Heupel on the offensive line? Yeah, I mean, it, th that's probably the biggest question personnel-wise moving forward. I don't have a question about their recruiting at quarterback with Nico on campus and Merklinger committed. 
they're going to do fine at receiver, no matter who they end up landing in this class. Running back's been a bit of a question, but they added Cameron Selden in this class, and he's a big-time talent who's now on, on campus as a freshman. And on the defensive side, I'm impressed with how they've recruited. The offensive line, I think, is the biggest question moving forward. There is the transfer portal that can help. And if Darnell Wright has a good rookie year to go along with being a top-10 pick, that makes it easier to go out there and continue to sell on the recruiting trail. But I don't have a definitive answer yet. Uh, they, they've they added some pieces in this class uh, that arrived on campus during the spring that could end up being nice players. But is in that is that in the next year or two? I don't know. Uh, Addison Nichols is a player that we've heard about with his ability and potential, but that's still what it is. It's potential. So I like Glenn Ellerby a lot as the offensive line coach. I think he's done a really impressive job the last two years, and my guess is they they will be fine. But Running the football and protecting the quarterback is what's going to drive this offense. The skill position players will be fine. They need to make sure they have the right guys up front. It's crazy to think about that you have the defensive line at number two, Smoky Mountain Red says, and Rodney, I trust. One of the reasons I find that intriguing is that everybody has this thought on Josh Heupel's offense and Josh Heupel's system, and obviously defense is kind of a concern in general. But if they can throw up their offensive line, I mean, you know, it's an old school dominate the line of scrimmage to win in the SEC, Tennessee would be in good shape on both sides of the line of scrimmage if they recruited well on the offensive line going forward, wouldn't they? Looks like we're having some technical difficulties real quick. Um, While going through there, going to read through the chat room real quick. Rocky Top Tom says, "From the last two years, would you say Glenn is our guy long term for OL coach?" Yeah, I'd say I'd say Glenn Ellaby is the long term offensive line coach. I'd say he's Josh Heibel has a lot of faith and trust in him, so I think he's I think they're in pretty good shape with him. Going through Josh Ward's list, and we'll talk about it when he comes back. But he had wide receivers and tight ends at number one, defensive line at number two, running backs at number three. Quarterbacks at number four, linebackers at five, offensive line at six, special teams as a whole at seven, and quite honestly, to nobody's surprise, defensive backs at number eight. Although with defensive backs, I think we can agree there's some low-key potential there. Josh, you still with us? You able to be with us? Yeah, my uh, my mic may have died, so I apologize. We'll go with the computer mic, so uh, I apologize okay, for that. But, but I'm back with you here if if you'll take my voice this way. Yeah, totally fine. Um, yeah, we were just talking about the defensive line. It's interesting that the defensive line is so is second, and if the offensive line can show up just a couple of questions, they could move up high. Given what, we, what Josh Heibel's reputation is, it's crazy to think that Tennessee could be a team whose strength is on the line of scrimmage in both sides. Yeah, I mean, it could be um, the the offensive line will need a couple of players to make a huge jump. And we, we don't know who the starting left guard is. And uh, John Campbell and Gerald Mincy, you know, let's see what kind of tackle combo that is. Assuming Mincy's the guy on the right side, that's how we project. The defensive line, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm too high on the defensive line. But a big part of the importance and the emphasis there is the depth, the rotation. They're really good players like Amari Thomas and Tyler Barron and Joshua Josephs in terms of talent and potential adding all that up. Rodney Garner coaching that group, but also guys that maybe we don't talk about as much as we should. Guys like Bryson Eason and Omar Norman Lott, who fans haven't seen yet in a Tennessee uniform. But 
word from the spring was really good about what Norman Lott's going to be able to add to Tennessee's defensive line. And that's a big part of it. When we see seen Tennessee's defensive line have issues, it was because they didn't have enough guys and the players they could count on wore down and sometimes dealt with injuries. And then they just didn't have enough players. So that I think Amari Thomas could be an all sec player. I think he has a really good chance to be an NFL player in the next year. So there is a lot of upside there, but more players that they can count on. And if Joshua Joseph's does continue to progress as a player from what we saw as a freshman. And if Caleb Herring can provide something as a true freshman, he doesn't have to be Derek Barnett as a freshman. If he's somebody they can count on, then this defensive line could be even higher as a position group. So I struggled a little bit defensive line or running backs. And if I was choosing receivers and running backs as the top two, part of that's confidence in the offense itself, not just the players. So the defensive line, I, I do think, has taken a big step forward. And if it plays at a higher level, the defense should be better, which could help Tennessee get back to where it was this past season. Be better? I don't know. 10-2 and two is so impressive, 11-2 and two after the bowl game. But to, to maintain that level and give itself a chance against Alabama, Georgia, and then everybody else, if the defensive line plays like it's capable of at the highest level, it can play with anybody. Going on from the defensive line, you go to the backfield. You have running backs at three and quarterbacks at four. Running backs, it seems like it's the same concept where there's a lot of depth and numbers there, and I, I'm yeah. guessing that's what put them at three. But are you concerned that even though we've heard talk about Dylan Sampson, there's not that – I know it's a high standard, but, you know, the Jamal Lewis type, that, that's not on this roster, is it? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think the highest upside player is – probably Cameron Selden. I love the speed, the burst that Samson has. And now he's a guy that we factor in a year ago as a true freshman. We heard good things and we saw a little bit of it, but during the season, we also saw that coaches didn't have confidence in him because of pass protection. I think that will be higher this year. Selden has high upside. Small and Jalen Wright have proven that they can play in the SEC. Running the football is so important. I think Tennessee will be effective running the ball we saw in the Clemson game how important it was uh, with Joe Milton at quarterback and it's just we talk so much about the quarterbacks and the passing game and the big plays and obviously that matters but Josh Heupel is going to run the ball and I think he has more players that he can count on now remember last August Tennessee brought in Lynn J Dixon that was out of desperation from where they were with their scholarship numbers and he only lasted a few practices they're not in that kind of position now so Tennessee should feel good about the amount of players that they have and will be able to rely on, and I think the ability. Jabari Small is a legit SEC running back. Is he Jamal Lewis, Travis Henry, Arian Foster level? That would be unfair to say. Same for Jalen Wright, but they are good enough to make plays, especially in this offense, and the guys that we haven't seen as much might have the most upside, which can create more excitement. But if they deal with an injury, or you know, if, if Jalen Wright or Jabari Small have, are banged up as they have been in the last couple of seasons, maybe Tennessee staff can be more comfortable resting them, getting them back to 100% or close to it and letting the other guys run the ball because I think Jabari and Jalen have had to play through, run through some injury issues over the last couple of years. So elephant in the room, quarterbacks at number four. Yeah. there's a Someone could make the argument that that might be a little high because technically we're still not sure of either guy as a starter. So what led them to be in the top half for you? Well, uh, you're right. The question is, is Joe Milton ready? Is Nico ready if he's needed as a true freshman to play? Because this is for this season. This has nothing to do with 2024, 2025. This is for this upcoming fall. 
my confidence is in what we saw in the Orange Bowl from Joe Milton, what I've heard about how he's worked behind the scenes, his leadership qualities that he has shown, how he handled not being the guy for most of the last two seasons, and what he learned from Hendon while Hendon took over the job and excelled in that position. So my confidence is in the ability. If we were going upside, if this were an upside list, which maybe we should do on another occasion, then quarterbacks might be number one based on the potential of what each guy can do. But each guy enters with a big question mark because there is a scenario where Joe doesn't play well enough for this offense to keep pace with what it did the last year and overall the last couple of seasons. But I think the floor is also a lot higher than a lot of people want to recognize with Joe. I mentioned on our radio show earlier this week, sometimes I feel like when people talk about how Joe Milton played at the start of the 2021 season, they talk about him like he was Chargers Ryan Leaf. He wasn't anywhere close to that bad. He he had problems and he had issues overthrowing on deep passage, which, by the way, are low percentage throws for any quarterback. And he needed to be better. Everybody recognizes that. I know about the end of the old Miss game. But his, his physical ability and this offense raises the floor of what Joe can do. And I have to imagine that's probably the case for Nico. Uh, so it's not number one. Number four on this list, I think, is pretty fair for the quarterbacks, considering question marks with other position groups and the ability that this group, the quarterback, still has. A little shocking to me, I guess the shocking, the most shocking one for me was that you had special teams down at number seven because I feel like this might be a little more sure. We know about Dee Williams, but also Charles Campbell. It, he's he's a proven kicker. So what what made you put special teams at number seven? So well, proven is an interesting word because his numbers are good, and uh, there are reasons to believe that Tennessee will be able to rely on him in big spots, but I need to see it. There's a, a difference in having to hit a big kick against South Carolina in a game that's gone back and forth, or if he has to hit it, let's say Florida keeps it close in the second half and they need a big field goal on the road in Gainesville, is he going to hit it? Uh, He has the ability to, but that's a question going in. They have to replace their punter, and Jackson Ross could be just fine, but it's a question for me going in. So having to replace both kickers, until we see it done, I'm going to wonder a little bit. Uh, They do have more athletes to help on kick coverage. D. Williams is a very talented punt returner. He showed that off this past year. Part of the issue as well, I have a, a fair amount of confidence in every position group. Like special teams was just ahead of the defensive backfield. I think the questions there are pretty obvious, but there are reasons to be optimistic too. So I'm not necessarily down on any of these position groups, but somebody had to be ahead of the other. And uh, linebacker compared to special teams, I like the – transfer of Keenan Peely. I like the potential of Arian Carter to be able to help Arian Carter to be able to help right away as a freshman, Elijah Herring, the way that he plays. So to me, they're a little deeper now, uh, but the coaching of special teams under Mike Eckler has been good. So there should be some confidence there. The fact that special teams is as low as it is, is actually kind of a compliment to what this Tennessee football team can be this fall. Yeah. So you bring up linebacker and I agree with you with linebacker. I think that they, they could actually be very good. We just, it's just a little bit of questions of what we haven't seen compared that to defensive back. I, we all, no surprise to anybody that they're number eight or last on the list, but the question becomes, do you think that could have like a little bit of a linebacker factor to it where there could be some, you know, you got two four-star recruits in Jordan Matthews and Ricky Gibson heard a lot of good things about both of them. Gabe, Julie Lally transferring Warren Burrell's back. Do you think defensive back could be, 
even though it's unproven and it belongs at last spot, could be shockingly better than people think this year. It could. If you are making the case this offseason that, hey, Tennessee's going 10-2 and two again, and Tennessee's going to have a real shot against Georgia, and Tennessee can go to Tuscaloosa and win this year. If you're making that case that Tennessee's a legit top-10 team, let's say, well, then part of that's probably going to be that the defensive backfield is improved. Danico Slaughter has a chance to be a really quality player for the Vols at corner is where we project right now. The competition has to make whoever's out there playing better. There is probably more confidence in Wesley Walker, and he probably has a better understanding of the secondary. The concern would be of what if they just, what if the coaches say, you know what, we know what we're getting with the veterans. We're going to stick with them right now, but they haven't actually made that much improvement. It's safety. They still have some concerns. They're still struggling in coverage at corner and some more talented players who might make mistakes, but also, might be able to progress and be better players by the end of the season are left on the sidelines. So that's a question I have. And it, that's a pretty typical question when you're talking about freshmen trying to beat out veterans for playing time. I think often coaches are going to naturally, naturally uh, go with the guys that they know and have seen out there first, but the upside, the improved level of talent and the increased competition should make this defensive backfield better. And it should be improved from where it was a year ago. Before we move on, Smoky Mountain Red says Campbell will be a good ad. Talking about the offensive line, I agree. Rocky Top Tom says, in reference to your mic issues, we'll take the voice of award any way it comes at UT. So <laughs> even though you are not related to John, right? <laughs> I will take that compliment for sure every single time. I've been dealing with some sinus issues as well, so I'm not I'm not at 100%. So uh, less than 100% microphone and then less 100% Josh is not the equation we're working or we're looking for, but we're working through it. We're getting Michael Jordan's flu game here. <laughs> uh, Travis says high-powered offense will help the OL and all champion teams start in the trenches. Rocky Top Tom says coach inherited a thin roster. Um, we talked a little bit about Cam Selden seeming like a little bit more of a violent runner and deserving of reps. You mentioned him. And Elias Gray predicts Wright, Jalen Wright will lead the team in rushing if he stays healthy. I disagree. I think it'll be Dylan Sampson or Jabari Small. Travis Case says he can't remember the last time there were this many quality running backs and receivers on the same team. And also Travis says he, he thinks, I'm sorry, Rocky Top Tom says he thinks it'd be around the former years and says, I miss Robert Meacham a lot. Yeah. I think we all miss Robert Meacham. That was a fun. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Josh, uh, before we go to break, I wanted to switch gears just real quick and talk something a little bit about Tennessee baseball. Is, and I'm going to improvise a little bit uh, because Dave Hooker has just joined. We were going to wait till after the break, but I actually want Dave to jump in with this because I think Dave. Has You're running time. this ship. Like I told Josh 20 years ago, you tell me what to do <laughs> and, and I'm there for you. Uh, Caleb, thanks for filling in. Uh, always fun getting that annual checkup with the dog. Josh, how are you, sir? I'm good. We've been battling through uh, mic issues. My microphone died. Uh, I saw that. That ha- that happens. It does. It's, it's a volume business. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> the, the viewers, listeners tuning in, were probably like, "Yes, maybe we'll get Ward out of here sooner." But no, <laughs> yeah, they're like, they're like, we don't have to deal with Dave, and we yeah. get a little less Ward. This yeah, is a perfect day. Yeah, the the audience shot up in numbers. <laughs> I, I, did, I did love your list. People need to check it out on offthehooksports.com. So, Caleb, you were going to do some diamond balls before we get Josh out of here? 
Yeah, I was going to try to tie something in because it's a throwaway thing I said the other day. But Josh, I'm sure you saw Tennessee baseball being left out of the Super Regionals. I'm sorry, not left out, excuse me, not hosting a Super Regional. My hot take question is, I, and I've asked John Wilkerson, Wilkerson about this. Dave and I spoke about it. It's politicking, right? It said Southern Miss has a better stadium. Is that it? I mean, maybe. Uh, that's the, the beauty and the absurdity of this is that they don't tell us and they don't have to. And that is <laughs> that is stupid. This is not a complicated process if they don't want it to be. The NCAA basketball tournament is ranked 1 through 68. They tell us ahead of time this is where the teams are ranked. If they did this with baseball and they told us, here's 1 through 64, here's how they rank, then if they ran into this situation, they could simply say as long as – the, the two sites can accommodate. Well, the one that's ranked higher gets to host. And then we don't have to go through this charade of behind the scenes conversations and trying to figure out, okay, well, this AD's son plays on the team. So how did that factor in? Then I'm wondering, what did the other AD or the other committee members just bow down and say, well, your son sits, sits the bench for that team. So I guess you get to travel to go see him. They're like, what are we doing here? Or you could just say, well, here's the criteria. Here's how it works. Here's who gets to host instead of having some secret 10 a.m. announcement the next day. Uh, but it created interest. It created uh, outrage, which creates more conversation, which I guess is good for college baseball. But I would say this would be good. Let everybody know how you do things so they don't think you're cheating one team versus the other. That would be my suggestion. Josh, I know where Caleb's going with this because I think Tennessee has some strong politicking power. But isn't this just the way that the NCAA has done things for years? I mean, my fear is that this happens with the college football playoff. It's happened with the NCAA basketball tournament. We've been like, why is that team left out and this team's in? They don't come out and answer any questions. Right. Uh, I would, you know, I want it to be true that the committee members were told they're getting together and they're going through the process and they're figuring out, okay, here's the bid, here's that bid. Uh, what are all the factors that we'll consider? I prefer to believe that they just sit around and play video games and they get, they set their iPhone to go off at 9.55. Say, oh yeah, five minutes, we have to tell everybody where they're going. What do you guys think? And then they just say, uh, Southern Miss. Okay. And they get back to their games and then they play because- Nothing else makes sense with this organization at this point. Uh, they, they make it complicated for a reason. They keep it secretive for a reason. Uh, I, I don't follow college baseball around the country in great detail. Many who do say it's a toss-up in terms of the resumes for who gets to host, who shouldn't. I feel bad for John Wilkerson and Tennessee media who are not looking forward to traveling to Hattiesburg. I feel bad for Tennessee fans who were looking forward to getting to go to Lindsey Nelson Stadium because that was going to be quite the atmosphere this weekend if Tennessee had hosted. But Tennessee baseball should take the mindset of, they said we couldn't win on the road, we went 3-0 at Clemson. They said that uh, we were done six weeks ago, and now we're two wins away from going back to Omaha and do better than last year's team did in the postseason. So if Tennessee's team goes with the right mindset, to Southern Miss, then they can do what Ole Miss did last year, go from a team that everybody counted out to having a chance to win the title, and Ole Miss did it last year. So this can be a positive for Tennessee, the old chip on the shoulder. Tennessee gets to take it to beautiful Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Boy, one of the places in the South I have not been, and I'm not missing it. The Hill Hattiesburg. Hattiesburg. Has anybody here been to Hattiesburg, Mississippi? I've been to Biloxi, not Hattiesburg. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've lost money in Biloxi before at the casino. Josh, you? Uh, I've been in the state of Mississippi a handful of times just outside the uh, the border there of Tennessee, but Hattiesburg, I have not been. Well, I, it, you've never spent a you've never spent a fulfilled week until you've covered junior college recruiting in the northern Mississippi area. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> For Tennessee fans who are going there, just make sure to hold on to your wallet real tight, allegedly, if you run into Brett Favre trying to take in the Ouch. Ouch. Brett Favre gets shots all the time. All right, Caleb, so how can politicking help Tennessee? We discussed this in our 3.30 a.m. production meeting, and I don't really remember exactly what you said because it was so early. Okay, so, Josh, where I was going with this, and I think this is bad for the college football playoff, but good for Tennessee because I think if they can politic over who plays at home, in baseball, they could obviously do that in football during the first round. So don't you think there might be a year when you're where like Tennessee is the between the eight and the nine seed and they're playing Wake Forest, who's between the eight and the nine seed. And if Wake, Wake Forest has a home stadium of 31,000, Tennessee's got a home stadium of 100,000. Obviously, Tennessee is going to bring more money in and they're going to make that decision then. Yeah, they should want college football playoff games at Neyland. Uh, the, the Dumbos, though, running this sport for so long have just thought, well, let's go to all these neutral sites and let's avoid the beauty of the college football campuses. So uh, trusting them to make good decisions is, is still a risk. But uh, it, it should just, I mean, hopefully with the football side, it will come down to who's ranked higher. I guess if you want to talk about the politicking of who gets which seed to then host, because there is that. Uh, problem as well but yes college football should want Tennessee Knoxville Neyland Stadium to be a home site anytime possible in college football college game day decided Knoxville is a great place to go twice last fall so uh, Knoxville should be very attractive in the college football world assuming Tennessee football can stay where it is or go a little bit higher to be one of those playoff teams because in, in the 12 team format of course last year Tennessee would have been one of those teams in that it's an interesting point that I'd never really thought about just blow up bowls and playoff destinations all together and have them all on campus, except for one mega bowl. Well, you know, why, why would you want to go to Knoxville and Gainesville and Tuscaloosa and Madison and Columbus when you can go to stale bowl sites that, fans aren't particularly excited about and the executives can rake in extra cash to bring them there. Thanks to the sponsors. Why would you choose the exciting atmosphere of college sites, the college sites that have made the sport what it is over more than a hundred years. You're telling me sports, not more prestigious in Knoxville. Sorry. (laughs) Josh, literally every bowl game that I have covered, this discussion has happened. So what brings you to town? Oh, well uh, I'm covering the bowl game. Oh really? Who's playing? That happens every single – would that ever happen in Knoxville, Tuscaloosa, Athens, or anywhere else? Uh, you know, when you go to Baton Rouge and you say, uh, looking forward to the football game this weekend, typically they say, what football game? Who's playing? Yeah, in Baton Rouge. Yeah, so Shreveport <laughs> or Baton Rouge, which is the more exciting atmospheric location for college football? It's tough to say. <laughs> All right, Josh, I'll let you go with this. I posted this on Twitter, and it caused quite the hullabaloo. Most underrated fruit is I go pear. Pear is the answer. Yes. Um, Pear's very good. Mango for sure, too, though, uh, belongs in this conversation. It's like a B12 shot. 
Yeah, that's pretty high rated though for me. I'm a big mango guy. Back yeah, but it's blood it, sugar it, though. I found. Is that right? Um, yeah, <laughs> pears are, yeah, pears are terrific. Never brought up in the conversation. Uh, funny shape. Yeah, there's so many things to brag about with the pear. Yeah. Now, I don't like my women like a pear, but I like my fruit like a pear. You Not can pair sweet. it with a number of different foods, too, to make a high-quality snack. You can yeah, pair it with a number of different foods. Yeah, you, 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 you both. Yeah, so use those jokes. You both really have a pair. All right. So, so, the raspberry. Raspberry is pretty underrated, both the, uh, the, <laughs> the raspberry and the blackberry. Raspberry is underrated. I'll give Travis that. He mentioned that on the Twitter last night. So fill us in with. Let, let me go after this. Favorite berry? Eric. Ah, oh, you beat me to it. Okay. That's <laughs> oh, I'm, 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 I'm still Hallie, but you know. <laughs> okay. Hallie Bear is pretty good. What was that movie? <laughs> Swordfish? Whatever it was. That's pretty yes. All right, Josh. Uh, people can follow your work, uh, your writing, which is fantastic, on uh, the website called offthugsports.com, which we celebrated our one-year anniversary. I didn't even realize it two days ago. And you can check out Josh on the Sports Animal from noon to three. He is fantastic. Throws high, hot heat daily from noon to three. Thank you, Josh. You got it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Josh Ward of the Sports Animal. He is fantastic. So check him out. Thank you, Caleb, for filling in. You never can go just get a quick checkup of the doctor's appointment. It always takes longer than that. But I'm good. So here we go. Most underrated fruit. We ask you that question, but more importantly, more pressing. Uh, coming up, I uh, want to talk about something that's uh, been interesting um, to me, and that is the the actual influence that Nick Saban has on the SEC. Is it good or bad? And he's now lobbying. Uh, with uh, NIL, so we'll discuss that. And I think he had a big say in the fact that ten- the, the SEC schedule didn't get fixed last week at SEC spring meetings. Hang tight. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. We'll be back in just two minutes. How about that? Family has been creating jewelry since 1986, each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler, and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. 
At Bassey's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassey Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get caught, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. With Caleb Calhoun, the most underrated fruit on our message board. Raspberry pear are up there. Caleb, did you go with that? Did you have a vote? I'm not much of a fruit guy. I like watermelon, apple, grape, and I'm like, none of those are underrated. Like, people love all those. So, yeah, but you don't see watermelon every day. See, you the see, banana. like, you see apples and bananas every day. So, watermelon might fit under underrated. Okay. Okay. So, I don't hate that. Uh, Nick Saban, by the way, most underrated fruit to buy says is tomato. That's uh, try. Come on. Bias. All right. So um, <laughs> let's do a more, more serious topic. Are we sick of Nick Saban yet? Because he's trying to make us feel that way. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. For those that don't know, Caleb also does a lot of work with the political realm. By the way, today's tough question is brought to you by Andy Mason Real Estate. So he's well aware in both realms, sports and politics, that Nick Saban and the SEC are going to Congress to lobby for NIL regulation. To the best of my knowledge, Off the Hook Sports broke this last year, and that was at SEC Media Days. We'll be broadcasting from there uh, in July. But I asked Mike, or excuse me, Mike Slab, uh, pardon me. I asked Greg Sankey really simply, I said, what kind of timeline are we looking at? And the first thing he said is, you got the midterm elections coming up. And I'm like, whoa, he's thinking like way down the road. And then he's like, you got the real elections coming up in 2024. I'm like, whoa. And he's thinking, I was thinking a matter of days or weeks. The issue is not what the NCAA should do, Caleb, the issue is what is legal. And I know Nick Saban is trying to step to the forefront of this, and I understand that he should do so as the elder statesman. But this is way bigger than Nick Saban. So your thoughts on Nick Saban, and I'll ask you just quite frankly, have you had enough of Nick Saban trying to influence the SEC? Because he's done it with speed of play. He's he's done it uh, in just about every shape, form, and fashion you can imagine. I think he derailed the SEC spring meetings. And I think Nick Saban's influence is why we don't have a permanent schedule in place. 
I'll go ahead and tell you firsthand, I'm ready for him to step aside from a policy standpoint. Be a great coach. Coach at Alabama as long as you want to because I think it's better when the programs are great. And Alabama has been great. But I've had it with him being the voice of the SEC. I'm done with that. I think it's self-serving, and I'm I'm good. I'm ready to move on. Caleb, thoughts? I disagree, believe it or not. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I dis- so his influence, he didn't derail the nine-game schedule alone. We, Jimmy, we couldn't get him. We, we had issues, technical issues yesterday speaking with him. But a lot of schools were against it because a lot of schools are rightly, again, upset about the poorly negotiated contract that Greg Sinke got from ESPN. And they want a bigger payout, meaning it's more important to make sure they get to a bowl. Also, his, his yes, was his attempt to slow the game self-serving? Yes, but it didn't work. Nobody listened to him. The game still is speeding up. This going to Congress, I'm going to be honest with you, Dave. It's not self-serving at all. Now, people think it's self-serving, but I think it's a genuine thought on where college football could be. Because here's the issue with with NIL. Every state has different laws, so there's no uniform standard. People thinking that Saban is worrying about this for himself. Hey, newsflash, everybody. Nick Saban just scored the greatest recruiting class in the history of college football by three different recruiting services and metrics. And that was in the heart of NIL. So NIL is not hurting Nick Saban or Alabama at all. Also, another thing I wanted to bring up, Dave, that I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to. If you're Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or Brian Kelly, even at LSU, when LSU is loaded with talent in Louisiana, you don't really need, like, don't get me wrong, you need NIL as a baseline, but you don't have to outbid for talent because you know this, Dave, covering recruiting. Players, Mm -hmm. five-star a guy that's playing for Tennessee might have been outbid for talent. You might get a couple. From Louisiana. From Louisiana. Okay, fair enough. You might get a couple. But lar- by and large, with it's when it's Alabama or Georgia, question, Dave, when, are, when, do profession, when do people with major football ties start targeting these elite athletes? They're 14 by the time they're being targeted, right? Um, The uber, uber, like weird – the anywhere guys okay uh, the anywhere guys okay like the 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 arch mannings of the world yeah everybody knows who he is the day he's born but mostly they don't start to get targeted until probably eighth grade freshman my thing is with Saban though I, I here's my issue with Saban I don't trust anything he says because I think he has ulterior motives so he may be going with the best interest of the SEC at heart to Congress, and he may be doing that. That's great. But I don't think he's done that necessarily on his other decisions, so I'm just ready to move on. I'm not ripping him. I'm not questioning his intentions. I'm just ready for this to move on. I think he has the most credibility to speak on NIL, though, with Congress, if you're going to have a coach go, not just because of his success, but because he also just had the number one ranked recruiting class in the country. So if any coach has less incentive to change the current structure, it's Nick Saban right now. Okay, but why would he have why would he have greater insight than Josh Heupel or Brian Kelly, two schools that are mastering the NIL game right now? I mean, to I me, think- they have more insight and they know the way things are working. They know that a guy like Jordan Matthews might be coming to them asking for money coming out of the state of Louisiana, maybe. 
I think Josh Heupel and Brian Kelly secretly don't really want change in NIL. I mean, because they're kind of... Well, it has to get regulated at some point, right? Yeah, but they, why would they Why would they ask it for it to be regulated when they're benefiting from it the most? Like, they're, they guess it probably will, but I think they want to take advantage of it for as long as possible until it is. Yeah, I guess um, when, when I look at the situation they're in, if if I if I'm Greg Sankey and I wanted to go to someone that had a good feel for NIL, see, I think Alabama put together a really highly rated class. I'm not suggesting they didn't pay anybody. I'm sure they did or most, but I, I don't think that they had to go out and pay a ton because I think they relied on their history. There is still something to be said for that. And there's um, also. If you're you're most of these players are smart, they realize Alabama their focus is the NFL, which is worth way more money than the NIL. So yeah, I mean as John Calipari says, you're tripping over nickels to cost you millions, which is a really good saying. So yeah, I mean, I think Alabama does that for you. I would just be interested in a fresh perspective. I'm ready for that. And I don't know who else that would be. If it's not, I mean, if it's not Nick Saban, who gives you a fresh perspective of of the way things are in the SEC with NIL. To me, that's Hypel and Brian Kelly. And Kelly hasn't been in the long, obviously, but they're having success there. And I know that they're doing a ton of NIL stuff that's actually more proactive in some cases than than what Tennessee's doing currently. I could I mean, see that. You, and wouldn't you like to see his perspective? Because he's been at Notre Dame as well. Y'all say I'm the Brian Kelly homer. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I just – I think there's a habit of just going to Nick Saban, and I don't think you have to do that. Well, the, let's let's not forget the two the two senators most involved in this. Uh, it's a bipartisan group. It's Tommy Tuberville, who's a Republican, and Joe Manchin, a Democrat. Tuberville is in, represents Alabama. It's probably more connected to Saban than any senator in, in up there, except for Joe Manchin, who was a childhood friend of Nick Saban's in West Virginia. So that that that's probably why they're bringing him up. And I don't think if you're talking to Tuberville, you might would only be connected to Hugh Freeze. Nobody wants Hugh Freeze going to Congress to lobby for any policy. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, but he might have a lot in common with some of the congressmen. Today's tough question brought to you by Andy Mason, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Andy Mason is where I go to buy a home, and I'm about to do so because he's incredible. Over 40 years of experience, best service, best price in the biz, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. So for the record, today's tough question, are you tired of Nick Saban being the mouthpiece of the conference? You say no, you're good with it. You're golden, you got no problem. I'm golden. I got no problem because I think this particular issue is one that he has the most credibility on of any coach out there. Wow. All right. I thought you'd be with me on this one, Caleb. I'm a little hurt. I'm a little I'm hurt. sorry. That's okay. <laughs> and Y'all you know, know we don't manufacture debates guys on this show. So no, we don't. Even though uh, his, I uh, do refer to Caleb sometimes as skip. No, I don't. It is four downs now as a, I want to talk about some all-time Tennessee players. This had me thinking. So coming up next in our Celebrate 98 series will be the Mercedes Hamilton interview, which was just great. He was so cool to talk to last night. Um, so that'll be up sometime today or early in the morning. But it had me thinking of a smoky hot take. And Caleb and I were on the same page because he thought of it too. 
four downs now brought to you by Bassy Lawn and Guard. Man Alive is worth a try. Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Downs. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right. So, most underrated fruit and give me some players who you think would win a Super Bowl. Former balls, VFL, former Tennessee players. We're going to put together a Super Bowl winning team right now, compromised of former balls. I think Peyton Manning's your quarterback. I'm going to go out on a limb there. And it's brought Man, to you by Bass. Yes, it's brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden. Man Alive, it's worth the drive. Bassey Lawn and Garden, they've got the buying power to save you a ton of money, whether you're in Chattanooga, Nashville, or Knoxville. Man alive, it is worth the drive. Bassey Lawn and Garden, go to Bassey.com. So four downs. First down, it is Peyton Manning. If it's not Peyton Manning, who is your first pick for this Super Bowl winning football team of former balls we're putting together? Rebecca, I see you. I see you. You're tired of Saban. I want your input on who should be on our Super Bowl team. If we say the name, you've got to move forward. you got to give us a new one and most underrated fruit. So... If we're drafting, if we're, we're drafting a team and Peyton Manning is everybody's first pick, who's our second pick, basically, to try to build this Yes, team. that's first down. My second pick is probably going to be Reggie White, just because of the line of scrimmage and just the, the sheer dominance and the versatility you get with him at defensive line. Okay, that would be your first pick. So we if we didn't go quarterback, if we wanted to say quarterback specifically, Rocky Top Tom came up with if not Peyton Tony Robinson was pretty darn good. Yep. You're not picking Tony Robinson to win your Super Bowl over Peyton Manning. <laughs> he got the Redskins to a Super Bowl. No, he got them to the playoffs with one win in which he didn't even throw a touchdown pass. He threw an incredible ball down the sideline against the Cowboys. I know that was caught inside the five. So that's practically a touchdown pass. You're not taking him over Peyton Manning, though. No, no, no. no. Not over, but what would he be second about? Uh, yeah, Tom, we're talking about all things. Okay, so uh, Peyton, if 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 we're not talking, if, if it's not the number one pick in today's, in, if Peyton isn't the number one pick in today's NFL, guess who I'm taking? Eric Berry. In his in his prime before the health issues, that guy's a bona fide Hall of Famer. The list is pretty short. If you just look at the NFL and the former Tennessee players that are NFL, that's pretty easy. Schuler gets a vote. Thank you, Travis. All right. So second down. You got Reggie Watt as your next pick. Go ahead and fill me in with uh your next level of players. That's second down. So a, a collection of them is what you're saying, right? Yes. Or, okay. People forget about this because his career was shortened by a neck injury. But if his career wasn't shortened by Kelly a neck Washington. injury. Washington. Kelly Washington. No, no. No, not his, Kelly Washington. If his career wasn't shortened uh. by a neck injury and if he wasn't playing during the same era as Ray Lewis in the same conference, we'd be talking about Al Wilson in this type of lore too. Because that dude was a superstar Pro Bowl linebacker when he played at Denver. And you so, get great leadership, too. Another vote for Al Wilson. All right, so the next level is Al Wilson on second down. I'm going to throw Deion Grant in there. 
Um, God, so I guess safety unit. Eric Berry and Dion Granite safety. Yeah, you're going to be pretty good. We got to make a place for Fred White. Fred White will have to drop some pounds and play corner again, like when he showed up to Tennessee. All right, so on the offensive side, third down, who is the most important player that you can pick up? Think of today's NFL. Yes, Fred White got a vote. So did Jason Allen. That would be our corner right there. And then Dwayne Goodrich on the other side, secondary set. But the offensive side, on the offensive side, who are you taking? You got Peyton as your quarterback. I think you got to load up on the offensive line. So I'm immediately going with Chad Clifton, putting Chad Clifton in at left tackle. And I mean, that's crucial. I'm going to go off script. I think if this is a draft, I think there are so many good receivers and offensive linemen. I would go running back Jamal Lewis. Jamal Lewis would be an intriguing one. I mean, I can't knock that, obviously. So he's, you know, I was, t- I was we were talking uh, with Mercedes Hamilton and Fred last night, and it was Travis Henry was very good. You knew you were going to have to bring it, but the thing was Jamal could shake you, and then suddenly you're not ta- you're tackling air. So I think a special tailback, even though in today's NFL there are no special tailbacks, I'm going to go in that regard. Who else on the offensive line would you take? Scott Wells at center. Trey Smith at guard. I mean, that those three, Chad Clifton, Scott Wells, Trey Smith, and also Trey T. He played tackle for a decent amount of time in the NFL. And yep. I think I I think I've got a I got a pretty filled out offensive line at that point. I think I can win a Super Bowl with those guys. I think you're good. Travis says Lewis, Cobb, and Henry is my backfield. Wow. And we have to leave out Chuck Webb. Smoky Mountain Red, Leonard Little, Constantine Ritzman. We need to start a tradition like I had when I was doing terrestrial radio, and that is Constantine Ritzman's name is mentioned during every single show. We did that for roughly two years, Constantine Ritzman. Well, I saw it on the – it's great Smoky Mountain Red mentioned Leonard Little because, you know, Tennessee was wide receiver you, and I always felt they should have been defensive line you because in 2003, Leonard Little was second in the NFL in sacks. John Henderson and Albert Hainsworth were both pro bowlers. Just imagine those three playing together on one defensive line in the NFL, much less college. That leads me to third down. You've already taken Reggie White. Who are you taking next? No, we've already, I've already, already told you, Chad Clifton. No, 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 on the defensive line, sorry. On the defensive line, sorry, excuse me. Okay, after Reggie White and after Al Wilson, because we've mentioned Al Wilson, Dale Carter, that's my, that's my lockdown cornerback. No, I like that. But defensive line, who you got to go along? Oh, defensive line. Oh, okay. All right. I've already taken. All right. At that, I'm taking Albert Hainsworth for all of his issues. Albert Hainsworth and Reggie White together. I think Reggie White could keep Albert Hainsworth in line. Yep. Crazy good sting. There's there's not a lot of people that have walked the face of the earth with that kind of fast twitch ability at that size. We need to have him on. He's doing something with Don King. Uh, Darwin Walker gets a vote. I like that. You can't like because would you Darwin had would you really start Darwin point. Walker over Henderson and Hainsworth though? No. So think about so my That's question depth. to you is, that is depth. Here's the question, Dave: Could you win a Super Bowl? Pick a year when a bunch of Tennessee players were winning, were playing. Could you win a Super Bowl with just Tennessee players in a certain year? And my bet is 2003. You could. Wait, the 2003 NFL season. Take former Vols who were in the NFL in 2003, and I bet you I could win a Super Bowl with them. You ready for this rundown? Uh, yeah, but first, 
fourth down, give me your two receivers you would take because that's an interesting debate. Okay, my two receivers would be Stanley Morgan, the best NFL receiver who ever played at Tennessee, if you really go through the numbers. And then on the other side, I would probably go – I'd probably go Carl Pickens. I would go Carl Pickens and Alvin Harper. And the reason the I would 1990 go, receiving core. Yeah, pretty much. And the reason I would go Harper stretch the field just like the Dallas Cowboys did in 1992. He got sick of running go routes. They were like, he, he just go, just run a go, run a go. That's basically what he did. All right. So you think 2003 that there's a team you could put together that current, uh, then current of Vols NFL who were pl- uh, of, no, 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 of, yes, in, in the current NFL, I, and I could Vols who were in the NFL during that time. If I could get them all in their prime, I could have won a Super Bowl. And uh-huh. just actually, what does your team look like? I'm gonna move it, I'm gonna move it up one year, I'm gonna move it up to 2004. Okay, I'm, I'm, I need to move it up to 2004. So I'm gonna okay. move it up to 2004. And here's my team Peyton Manning's my quarterback, Jamal Lewis is my running back. For those who don't know, in 2003, Peyton Manning was co MVP, and Jamal Lewis was a 2000 yard rusher. I'm good at backfield with those two. Jason Witten is my tight end. My offensive line is Chad Clifton, Scott Wells, Trey Teague. I think I could find two more linemen in the NFL during that time. I think Fred Weary I could plug in at guard, and I could get another yeah. guy. On the defense, I could have John Henderson and Albert Hainsworth in the middle. Leonard Little and Sean Ellis on the ends. I'm good, at, I'm good on defense on the line. Yeah, you're good. At linebacker, I, I could get Al Wilson at middle linebacker, who was a superstar during this time. Raynock Thompson was a regular everyday starter during this time. And Dominic Stevenson and Eric Westmoreland both had some NFL experience at this point. I could get either of them. And yeah. Now I can roll with the, that. Yeah. Uh, who's, your, is, who's your tight end? I guess assume it's Jason Witten, right? Jason Witten. Yeah, because it and should it have been second- David Martin, but he wouldn't move to tight end and stayed at wide receiver at Tennessee. But anyway, that's another story. That is another story. Now, receiver would be a little <laughs> tricky. In 2004, my receivers would be Peerless Price would be one receiver because he was starting in the NFL. The second receiver would be a little bit difficult. Even though Tennessee was wide receiver U, they weren't really loaded with NFL receivers. I'd probably have to go Kelly Washington or Dante Stallworth for my other receiver during that time. Now, the secondary is where it gets intriguing. Jabril Wilson and Deion Grant are my safeties. I got safety locked up at that point. Jabari Greer would be my cornerback. I, I need another cornerback. Wait, don't that's you why have... I'm struggling. Okay, that's pre-Barry. All right, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Jabari Greer would be my cornerback. I need another cornerback, and that's my that's my only issue is I need a cornerback, but I think I can find somebody. But I'm yeah. telling you, I think I got a Super Bowl team with this. No, I think you're pretty good. Uh, Rocky Top Tom said, can we have the same conversation in the context of Golden Age football? Yes. Uh, Caleb, we need to do that very, very soon. David Leverton is our punter. There's no question about it. Thank you, Smoky Mr. Mountain Red. The most accurate punter ever. I still can't believe that was better than more than luck <laughs> that he always did that. Well, he'll tell you that his his most incredible play was tackling Peter Warwick in the national championship game. That's what he was most proud of. Do you remember how isolated they were? It was just him and Peter Warwick. And it's like, man, David's about to get burnt. <laughs> scorched. I need to go back and watch that. I don't even remember yeah, that. Yeah, he makes the tackle in open field. He's the Man, last dude. Bad day um, for Peter Warwick. <laughs> he couldn't beat yeah. Dwayne Gurwich in coverage, and he got tackled by a punter. <laughs> by the way, 
one thing I didn't know, the entire Fiesta Bowl before the national championship game, it's why you need to check out the Celebrate 98 series. It'll come up. We'll have the Mercedes-Hamilton conversation. They were not allowed to talk to Florida State, talk any trash. And they probably got that from Nebraska the year before who didn't talk at all. And then the last day, Philip Fulmer said it was the last bowl event. So they have these bowl events. And there's some splash country thing. And he said, gag order lifted, say anything you want to. And the players are all with the Florida State players, and they just come out of their shell. And what <laughs> it was, trash talking to the extreme. That's a level of brilliance I wouldn't have expected from Phil Fulmer. I, I discovered something else. He also told a joke during halftime of the national championship game, and Mercedes and Fred both said it's exactly what they needed because it loosened them up. Wow. I thought that was very he had a. He had a unique skill at motivating players. That makes sense because, you know, you're low-key. And I do remember a lot of Tennessee players, and I'm sure they'll tell you this in the 98 team. Everybody, it was ridiculous. Tennessee was undefeated. Florida State had one loss. And everybody was picking Florida State in that game, I remember. And I think the aura of Florida State bothered the Tennessee team. It did. It did. And I, I don't – I never thought just watching football and knowing ball like you do, I didn't think that Florida State was – really any strong threat to beat Tennessee. Elias says, give us some names here. I'm going to start with Doug Atkins, but Elias did say, I wonder if there's anyone pre-1980 that belongs in this list. It's just such a different in terms of size, but I would have Doug Atkins on that list. Reminded you go to crafttreats.com, use the promo code off the hook, the promo code off the hook, get 20% off the chill pills with the CBD derivative or any of their fine products, 20% off with the promo code off the hook. That's crafttreats.com. The chill pills, with the CBD will help with your pet's digestive issues. Also help with your pet's um, maybe anxiety issues, arthritis as well. So who makes this list pre-1980? I mean, it's no, it's, I, I thought it's, I thought we were talking pre-1960. Are we talking pre-1980? Well, Elias said pre-1980 uh, earlier. Okay, but so pre nineteen eighty, it's a little bit better because I was reading pre nineteen sixty, and I'm like pre nineteen sixty, like sports doesn't count. You can't say who would make a list in football when players were playing when no black people could play. Okay, just you can't do that. Yeah, you definitely limit the talent pool. Um, yeah, uh, but pre okay, does anybody post- stand out other than Doug Atkins? I mean, people need to know that Doug Atkins. Oh, we'll do pre nineteen sixty at some point too, as well, Tom. But just pre nineteen eighty. People need to know that Doug Atkins, he was the type of guy that was like the Victor Wampanoana. I mean, he was the just generational talent that was the biggest guy on the defensive line, but would jump over offensive linemen. I mean, it literally was that insane. And in a radio interview, he cursed like there's no tomorrow. So I think a couple of guys from the Dickey era, um, there is, I do think Steve DeLong, the first Outland Trophy winner in Tennessee history, could get there. I think Bob Johnson, the center from that time, could get there. And they could both play because they they played during the 60s and 70s. And I think that was a time where you can make it. But pre-1960, it's Doug Atkins. Honestly, pre-1980. Pre-1980 and pre-1960, although Stanley Morgan was pre-1980. I think he could do it too. But pre-1960, it's Doug Atkins and nobody else. It's just Doug Atkins. Because Doug Atkins is like one of the few players who can play it in anywhere in any era. And for people who want to be biased to eras, guys, Johnny Majors was a single wing tailback, and the single wing was all about running the ball. And Johnny Majors may have been what one seventy five buck sixty, something like that. 
Yeah, and, he wasn't big. Yeah, you guys think a guy who's 160 pounds could be a tailback in today's college football or NFL? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's Josh Ward running around is what that is. Um, yeah, the, the, if there's one piece of audio I wish I could go back and find. It was a 40-minute interview with Doug Atkins. And it was, it was a lot of cursing, but it was also a lot of history that you didn't realize that you were just that one generation removed. Caleb, you would have loved it. I mean, he would say things like, so I went up to George Hallis and I said, you bleepity bleep, son of a bleep, you bleepity bleep this. Okay. You said that to George Hallis? (laughs) And he used And in Wrigley Field, he used to shoot pigeons with his rifle before games out of the rafters. That is epic. That's so hilarious. Oh, my gosh. What What do you do to get right before the game? I go out with a firearm in the stands and take out some birds. John Morant would have loved him. (laughs) Uh, Two minutes of preview of a Big Ten team we want to get into. Yes, Alice did almost lose control. By the way, I'm I'm a sports historian who also, with the exception of baseball, who doesn't like thinking players from different areas could play in this era. The whole Russell Chamberlain stock, talk guys bill russell would not start or be on any nba roster today i'm sorry he wouldn't there's not one nba team that he would be good enough to be on you're on such a good roll two minutes <laughs> a team that's getting an awful lot of preseason love is it deserved stay tuned east caleb calhoun update booker to own the more that owns every job then get the vasty lawn and garden in cleveland and get you a toro i'm david vasty here to talk to you about toro With a Toro Zero turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassey's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassey Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! 
Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get cut, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. Johnny Majors drawing comparisons to Emmett Smith on our message board. I'm not sure I'm willing to go quite that far. What? Johnny Majors couldn't make it in the NFL when he was playing. Okay. And y'all think he would have made it in the NFL 30 years later? Well, I mean, he uh, played in a different position. Could he have been a squirrel white with 20 more pounds? You think he had squirrel white speed? I'm talking relative to his time. No, they didn't. He couldn't have a spot. He went straight into coaching because I think he gave Canada a shot for a year. And then he had to go into coaching. He couldn't make it back then. How could you make it now if you couldn't make it back then? Interesting. Well, I thought it was a good comparison. I liked it. Any any comparison that Cowboy gets you a shout out. I, I love it, Rocky Top Tom. And As a Cowboy I, fan, I, you should feel disrespected by that. I don't. Now, I mean, if, I think Emmett Smith was an overrated back because I think he was just a product. Ne- there's never been a Hall of Fame running back more of a product of an offensive line. Sorry, you're going to hate right. me for saying that, but still. Well, that's not it's not true, but it sounds good. Kervin uh, Richards, uh, <laughs> as long as we don't compare people to Kervin Richards, the one man who was cut before the playoffs, had nothing to do with salary, but he fumbled three times in a game, and Jimmy Johnson said, you can go ahead and cruise, and they went on winning the Super Bowl. He still got paid a Super Bowl check, but wasn't around the former Bama running back. There's some history. But they kept Leon Lett. <laughs> Leon Lett was re- – Leon Lett was – and Albert Hainsworth were very similar in their quick twitch – and when he didn't have to use his brain for anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay uh <laughs> i'm talking about leon i'm just making a joke about to have albert on the show way. and he knows don king so he could get you yeah i wasn't going at albert i was talking about leon let not using his brain when he ran the wrong way on the field okay here we go what the h what the what was he thinking release the hounds the dave hooker show keep cool a presentation of off the hook sports.com we're going to preview some teams heading into the season wanted to take a look at penn state they're getting an awful lot of love what the h brought to you by city heating and air conditioning cityheatandair.com integrity matters so what are your thoughts on Penn State right now? They're getting top 10 love from some prognosticators. What do you think of, of Penn State and their chances of perhaps winning the Big Ten or at least beating a Michigan or Ohio State or both? I think their chances are better than a lot of people think. I'm not so sure they have the team to win it in the college football playoff because they are built like a big 10 team. I mean, no speed on the outside whatsoever, but they were 11 and two last year. Top 10 team. I believe they get Michigan at home this year. I'm going to look that up, but I believe they get Michigan at home this year and they upgraded their offensive line. Now they did lose their quarterback, but I, I don't really think that's a big deal. I, I'm, I'm reading about Drew Allard. It sounds like he might actually end up being better. They've got pretty good defense. A pretty good defense coming back, but the big thing is they're upgraded on the offensive line. And with that well, in Michigan at home, I mean, sorry. their offensive line should be really good. Um, I think 
you know, left, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, uh, Alamunwaya Fashuna, was thought to be a possible first-round pick. So the the they've got five other linemen who started at least five games last year, and I, I think they can, I think they can be very good up front. Here's my issue with James Franklin, and it's going to be the same thing that it was at Vanderbilt. Is he's a really good recruiter, and his teams tend to not make huge mistakes. But where's the innovation in the thinking? So they're going to put an offense in this day and age of college football, and you know. I absolutely love running the football, but James Franklin's going to put a rushing offense on the field. And I just don't get that, Caleb. Yeah, I, I, I was going to, that's where I was going to go. I think that Penn state is not the type of school. And I still don't think they are, even though they recruited as well as they could, where you can just get by without any innovation offensively or defensively. You got to have some and Franklin has none. And also you can't get by with a coach who, Look, I'm not picking on Franklin. Most coaches are like this, but if you're Penn State, you can't afford to have a coach like this who makes basic in-game mistakes, just really basic Butch Jones-level in-game brain lapses. And he's guilty of that a lot. And if you're if you're Nick Saban at Alabama, you can get away with it because you're loaded with talent. And honestly, there's been some, time, some times where Nick Saban has gotten away with it. And Kirby Smart can get away with it at Georgia. You can't really get you can't get away with that at Penn State. That's something you can't get. You're never going to have the talent to get away with that. I don't think they're going to score a lot of points, and then they have issues at defensive tackle and cornerback based off the productivity last year. So, are they going to give up points? Where do they stop people? I think Penn State. I know you you think Florida State could be one of the most disappointing teams out there, but listen, at some point, just losing to Michigan and Ohio State should be considered a disappointment because you've been at Penn State a long time, James Franklin. What's it, 10 years? So, to me, that's one of the more disappointing seasons. If they do that again, I don't really have a lot of faith in them to turn things around, and then where do you go from there? So, um, I, I, I guess what the age, I, I don't understand why they're getting so much preseason love at all. I think because the default for Penn State is 10 and 2 because let's just run through their schedule real quick. Their toughest out of conference game is West Virginia at home. I don't know why West Virginia is still sticking with is it Neil Brown, their head coach? I, I mean they are I don't know why they're stuck with him or staying with him, but they're a bad team. Penn State's going to beat them. They're going to beat Delaware, they're going to beat Illinois on the road. They're going to beat Iowa, they're going to beat Northwestern on the road, they're going to beat UMass. So they're going to be 6 and 0 before they face Ohio State, who lost. I mean, those are six terrible teams I named. Okay, <laughs> let me ask you this question then. Penn State, if they only lose to Michigan and Ohio State and there's a 12-team playoff in play, which there's not until next year, but let's say for funsies there is, do you – would they make a 12-team playoff? Would they be one of the top 12 teams in your mind in the entire nation? Yeah, they would have been last year, and they're going to be this year. I, I, Not me personally. I wouldn't have put yeah. them in. No, I mean, but, you know, the net now, if we're talking in two years when USC and UCLA join the Big Ten, and by the way, the Big Ten is going to come out with a scheduling model today for when UCL, USC and UCLA join. So we're going to see if they have it a better hand on it than the SEC. But then we might have a different conversation. But yeah, 11 and two with, I mean, I just named, I, I didn't name just bad teams. I named awful teams. I think Illinois is the toughest of that group and maybe Iowa, but Iowa's at home. And then later they visit Maryland and have Michigan at home and visit Michigan State. But yeah, I think if they're 10 and 2, they would get in the 12 team playoff. 
I'm not so sure they would deserve it. But then I go, I'm like, who would deserve it over them? I mean, I'm looking at it last year, which is, this is the scenario you brought up last year. They were number 11. Okay. They would have been the last team in the playoff had this been the thing last year. The only other team you could have made a case for was Washington going 10 and 2. But was Washington's 10 and 2 more impressive than Penn State's 10 and 2? I don't know. 10 and 2 is going to be where the really interesting line is drawn in the major conferences. Does Tennessee deserve to be in a 12 team playoff if they lose to Alabama and Georgia? They may not even play them, but I mean, do they deserve to be in? That's where some really interesting decisions are going to have to be made is that 13 to 12 spot. I'm not as concerned about the nine to eight, which would mean home game or the five to four, which would mean buy mine's the 13 to the 12. I think you're going to have a log jam of about eight teams that are knocking on the door at 12. Now my argument is to Penn state beat Michigan or Ohio state and don't worry about it. Same thing for Tennessee, beat Alabama or Georgia. Don't worry about it. So I don't want to hear any whining, but I am going to tell you there's going to be a lot of it because there's going to be eight to 12 teams that are going to be right there jammed up against that 13 spot. And you talk about Washington 10 and two, Penn state 10 and two, uh, Tennessee 10 and two. I mean, if, if they were to all go 10 and two, which could happen, you could have six teams with 10 wins in major conferences. I didn't even mention Clemson. You could have six teams right there knocking on the door that technically are not in. I, some people are going to get left out on an annual basis. And I'm not just talking about one team like the NCAA tournament. Sometimes we look at one, two, or three teams. I mean, three or four or five teams are going to get left out and they're going to be upset about it. Oh, I, I'm with you on that. I, I've, I, The only thing I think they want is – if you're one of those teams, I was never for expanding it beyond four. And if you're trying to make the case to be number 12, well, then you you, you really didn't do what you needed to do anyway. I think the point is, and that's that's kind of where I stand. I, I will say one thing that might work in Penn State's favor. Look, this this by all this looks to be James Franklin's best team. He actually shored up his cornerbacks, too. He's got the leader in Big Ten passes defended last year back. Plus, I think he has Johnny Dixon on the other side. When you combine that plus the fact that I think Ohio State also has a guy who is not the best in-game coach running their program right now, despite their talent, and Penn State, and, and then Michigan is just – Michigan's like Penn State, and we'll talk about them probably some another point later this month, but they're limited on their athletes on the outside. So Penn State playing Michigan at home that in November, that's a big boost for Penn State. Agreed. He is Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. We'll see you Friday, Football Friday with Fred, Mercedes Hamilton, former Tennessee offensive lineman. Uh, The Celebrate 98 series brought to you by Tennessee Cider Company drops today. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. We'll talk to you soon. Have a fantastic day, morning, evening, afternoon, whenever you're watching Off the Hook Sports.